For those of you who are visiting with us, uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Eaglemont. Glad you're here. Want to wish a big happy Father's Day to all the dads. Now, I know for some of us, coming this morning probably might have been a little uneasy. In fact, some of you might even be online this morning because you chose to be online because Father's Day is maybe not the best day in your house. Not all of us have the gift of having a good dad. Maybe for you, you go, yeah, if you met my dad, you know why I don't really want to talk about fathers. Some of you in our church family, I know Father's Day is rather painful for you because it's a reminder of a dad that you've lost. And again, pain is stirred up. And for some of you dads, Father's Day is just a reminder of your own failure because your day isn't filled with cards and phone calls. I want to thank you for still being here. We are going to talk about fathers this morning because it's so pivotal and so important. Ruth Ann mentioned it in her prayer this morning. When Jesus taught us how to relate and how to actually talk to God, he said that we are supposed to approach him as father. Yet if there is one thing in our culture that is completely dysfunctional, It is the concept and the practical working out of what a father is. Fatherlessness is one of the greatest diseases of our current culture. According to the U.S. Bureau of Census in in 2021, 18.4 million children in the U.S. alone grew up without a father present. Father deprivation is is a more reliable predictor of criminal activity than race, environment, or poverty. A national survey done in Canada revealed that children from fatherless homes are eight times more likely to go to prison, five times more likely to commit suicide, 20 times more likely to have behavioral problems, 20 times more likely to become rapists, 32 times more likely to become runaways, 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances, nine times more likely to, do, to drop out of high school. These kids compose 63% of youth suicides, 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 85% of children with behavioral problems, 71% of high school dropouts, and 85% of youth sitting in prisons. Yet we almost never talk about it. As followers of Jesus in particular, when we are told that we can approach and relate and know God as Father, How do we do that when we have such a dysfunctional idea of what a father actually is? This morning, if you're with me, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 15. We're going to read through a story that Jesus told. You maybe have heard it before. It's often called the story of the prodigal son. And in that, Jesus gives us four real practical outlines that I would like to to look at today of what does it mean to be a father. And it's so important for dads that we remember this is part of what we are supposed to do. I want to encourage you with that. And for all of us, we need to allow our understanding to be transformed to what does it mean that God is our father? What does that actually look like? So if you'll pray with me, God, open our hearts and our minds. We want to meet with you today. We need to meet with you. So I pray that you would just come alive through your word. God, speak to each individual heart as you do. By your Holy Spirit, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 
so I want to talk about four qualities of a good father as we look at this portion in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And the first quality is that this, is that good fathers leave an inheritance. In verse 11 of Luke 15, it says, uh, Jesus said, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate. A good father has an estate, has an inheritance that he can pass on to his kids. Proverbs 13.22 says this, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. Now God, the father, is no different. We see this throughout the working of the New Testament. This is the work of Jesus, is that God now actually allows us to become children of God. Through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And in that, it says in the book of, of Romans 8, 16 to 17, that we are God's kids. And because of that, we are his heirs. That because of the, the blood that was shed on the cross by Jesus, that he paid for our debt of sin, that we could be in right relationship with him and have eternity with him. That's the inheritance for everyone who is a child of God. Dads, for you, for your kids, an important question to ask. Life can get really crazy and busy, and we can lose focus of what our life is about. What are you passing on to your kids? What is of real importance for you to pass on? I got a little video clip here. As this spring, there are different things for each of us dads that we want to pass on. I had something that was really important. You all probably have something that's really valuable to you that you really would love to pass on to your children. I made an effort this spring as I had a chance to take my son to his first Flames game with the hope that he was going to build a love and a passion like his dad. I'm just going to show a little clip. We'll see how it went. If we can play the video in the back. I'm not sure if he's there yet or not, but he's, I think he might be on the way. But dads, what are, what's important to you? What do you care about that you want to pass on to your kids? Maybe it's your favorite sports team. Maybe, it's, maybe you have really strong political opinions and real values that you, you care about. Or maybe it's really important to you that your kids get a good education or that they have a good job that they provide, that they're able to financially be stable. What is it exactly that is really important to you? As followers of Jesus, as ones who have a relationship with God, more important than all those things, and sure, that might have some value, but truthfully, it's really not important. At the end of his life, if my son cheers for the flames or not, is not that important. But you have the opportunity to leave a spiritual inheritance, a spiritual legacy, just as God the Father has left an inheritance, an eternal inheritance for us. So how do you leave a legacy, an inheritance for your kids that matters? Three quick things, fathers, this morning. Number one, share your stories of what God has done. Share the stories of what God has done in your life personally. 
it can, again, be very easy for us to forget to do that. Share the stories of the heroes of faith that have gone before you. Maybe your, your dad, your grandparents, or the heroes of faith that you see in God's word. Psalm 78 verse 4 tells us the importance of that. We have to share those stories with the next generation. Number two, training and discipline. Ephesians 6, 4 talks about the importance of this, that you need to teach and discipline your kids. You need to model and show the importance, help guide them in the teachings of God's word and what he calls for them. Now, discipline, as it clarifies in the New Testament, discipline is not an act of anger or hatred. And sometimes some of us, unfortunately, have experienced that and have that association with discipline as if it's an action of anger, but it's not. It's discipline is an action of love for the further betterment of the future of the person we're doing it to. And then number three, blessing and cursing. As we talked about in the fall in Exodus 20, verse five and six, that you have the opportunity to pass on both blessing and cursing. Cursing being what are those things in your life that you haven't dealt with, sin that you've allowed to live on. Maybe those addiction issues that you've continued to live with in your life that you actually can pass that on to your kids. You leave a predisposition for them to struggle with that same sin. Vice versa, when you allow and work with God in your life to help him to bring freedom, you do the tough work of breaking those things in your life, you set your kids up for success in the future as well as those blessings, as it says in Exodus, are passed on to the third and fourth generation. You have an opportunity to leave an eternal legacy with them. So first thing, good fathers leave an inheritance. Let's get back to the story in Luke 15. So it goes on in verse 12 again. The younger son told his father... I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. This leads us to number two. The second thing I see about a good father is good fathers lead through heartbreak. Dads, the reality is is being a dad means that you can be prepared to have to go through heartbreak and sorrow. Our kids are probably the things that we love the most. We love them more than just about anybody else on this earth. But they are also the people that can bring you the most pain and sorrow. My dad had to deal with a lot of pain and sorrow because of his third child. For some reason, Sunday mornings is always the day that kids do the worst behavior. Have you noticed that, parents? It's always on the way to church. I remember going one Sunday on our way to church, getting ready, going into, my car, into, the, into the car. My dad's getting ready to preach that morning. And I was in grade two, and I loved learning new words and pretending like I knew more than I did. And I learned this new word at, at school. It was a word, four-letter word that started with F. And fart was not the word. And my dad was not pleased. I remember him turning around and he was like, I don't know what it means. I knew I'd done something wrong. I, I, I purposely did things that were disobedient. I sometimes just made mistakes in life. My dad's had to watch me live through pain. Some of you parents have had to see your kids live with the consequences of their decisions and see their pain. As a parent, you have to know heartbreak. Teenage parents, you've probably more than once been told, I hate you. Part of being a dad is dealing and leading through heartbreak. How do you do that? You again have to look to the one who is our model. Jesus taught a completely countercultural idea when it comes to leadership. See, in our world, the idea of leadership is the old pyramid. The person who's at the top, so dad, person at the top has all the power, all the resources, and with that, they control everyone underneath them. And it is often die abuse of power and manipulation. 
But Jesus said in Mark that it will not be the same with you. That's what he told to his followers. Instead, those who are the greatest are to become the greatest servants. Dads, we are to lead a different way. And some of you have experienced because your dad did exactly that. Dad was the one with the most power and dad abused his power in your home. But that's not what a real father does. That's not how a real father leads. And we see this play out in this story. Here this dad is asked, the son says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. There is literally nothing that would be more painful than to have this question because essentially what the son was stating, it was not normal to get your inheritance before your, your father would pass. And he's essentially saying, I don't really care about you. I just want your stuff. I wish you were dead so I could get your things. That's essentially what the the son is saying by doing this. Again, heart-wrenching, heartbreaking. But how does the father respond? It would have been well within his rights to actually even go after the son to physically and verbally abuse him would be probably the expected norm. But that's not what the father does. The son asks for a share of the estate So this word estate here is the word usia in in Greek, and it means property or possessions. But the father responds, shockingly, by not dividing his estate, but the word that's used here, it says he divided his wealth, bios. This word is actually translated his life, or that by which life is sustained. Again, if you look culturally at the time, your estate, your land, had so much to do with your identity. To actually give the estate to the son, he would have to sell off that portion of the land. It was his second son, so that means a third of his estate, because the oldest son always got a double portion. That was the cultural norm. So he would actually have to sell off his land. He would have to give away, essentially, his legacy. He would have to sell that off. The father chooses, while the son simply asks for his things, the father responds by actually giving of himself and his life. Does that not sound like someone else we know? A good father who chose to a sinful people to give of his own life, his own son, sacrificed, so that we could have the potential to be with him. Dads, that's the type of leadership that we are called to. Let's go back to this story again, Luke 15, picking up in verse 13. I promise we're going to move through the verses a little faster as we go along. Some of you are already like, he's 12 minutes in here and he's only done two verses. Just take it easy. It's okay. We'll get there. So verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and, uh, excuse me, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Again, a Jewish boy going and feeding pigs. This is the worst possible job you could have. This is the lowest of the low. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the, pig, feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So this young man wants all of his stuff because he knows he can do it better. He wants to do his own thing and wastes all of the estate, all of the inheritance on wild living. 
There's an amazing thing about sin. Sin always promises us freedom and pleasure. It always looks like it's going to enhance your life. But look at its reputation. Look at the actual history of what sin has done in your life and what it's done in the lives of those around you. Sin always leaves us empty and enslaved. Jesus talks about this in John 8, 32. Some of us can feel like when we are at this point, like maybe this young son, maybe you know you've hit a point in your life where you're just at the lowest of low. Yeah, maybe I made a bad decision. Maybe, I'm, maybe there's consequences, but wouldn't God care? Here I am and I'm dealing with all of this junk. God is so unloving. Father is so unloving. Can I assure you, the father in this story was not pleased by the heartbreak that his kid was going through. So that's sometimes the story we tell ourselves. We begin to build a narrative about the way a father would respond to us. And we're going to see as we move forward, this son was already building a narrative. Dad must find great joy showing that I was wrong. And yeah, you were right. Of course you were right. A good father leads through heartbreak. This, let's just keep going on here. And we need to understand the true heart of a father. What is the actual heart of a father? Not what is the story we can come up with? What would, how, not how would we respond, but how does a father actually respond? Because a father sees heartbreak and feels heartbreak when they see their kids in pain and struggling. Verse 17, when he, the, the son, finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. Comes to his senses. Hard knocks teach us a lot of lessons. And some of you are probably like me. Being told a lesson doesn't necessarily sink in. You have to learn by actually living out the experience and going through the hard knocks. And this son having to go through this, it changes his perspective of the father, of his situation that he had before. And what's his response? His response, I'll go back as a hired servant. I'll go back and I won't, I'm not a son anymore, but maybe I can earn my way back. Maybe I could work for him and somehow earn back from my father. Moving on, verse 20. So he returned home to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. Let's pause here for a moment. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to pay for my past. I don't want anything, but I'm going, to, I'm going to work like crazy. I'm going to work like mad and I'll make myself a living and maybe I'll be able to earn my reputation back. Because believe me, the, the decision that this son made was not just hurtful to the father. It was insulting to the father. And it was probably insulting to his entire set community that was there. Because that son, when he abandoned the father, also abandoned the entire community. I'll go back and I'll earn my way back. But the father sees him from a long way off. He doesn't command people to go out and keep him away or beat him up or tell him tough luck. you got to live with your decisions. What does the father do? It says, the father was filled with love and compassion. And he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. 
The fact that this father would get up and run was actually a gigantic thing culturally. Patriarchs, the leaders, the, the male leaders of households did not run in these days. They wore skirts, remember? They didn't wear pants. And to run, you had to lift those up. You would show your legs. It was, it was a, a, an act of indignity. They were put together. He essentially just let it all go. He saw his son from a distance. He was waiting for him. When he saw him, he was so filled with love and compassion, he ran for him. He didn't care what anybody else thought. He didn't care about what the son had done wrong. He was so filled with love and compassion, he ran to him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worth being called your son. But this father said to the servant, Quick, bring the... Bring the finest robe in the house. Finest robe that would show that this is my son. This is my family. And put it on him. Get a ring, the signet ring that was the family ring that could be a marker. He could sign for things. Give him the signet ring because this is my son. And sandals for his feet because only a free man wore sandals. And kill the calf we have been fattening. That calf was saved. That was special. They didn't eat meat that often. And that calf, that fattened calf, was not for just a family to eat. When you did that, it was a large celebration for the entire community to come. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Some of you this morning need to hear this. Because maybe you haven't been really engaged or back to church, or really connected with God. Because you know God wouldn't want you. He wouldn't want you because you can fill in the blank. If only you knew what I've done. If you knew what I've become. The decisions I've made, the things I've taken, the things I've abused. I've heard what Christians talk about, about what God wants. I've, I've even read some of the Bible and I know that I don't live up to that. Your greed, your selfishness, your sexuality, your addictions. What exactly have you been convinced of is too bad and too big to come back to the Father? What is it that is too horrible that he cannot be approached with? That he could not forgive you for? The Father is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. And he's not waiting so that he can bang you over the head and tell you all you've done wrong. So scripture tells us he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich abundantly in love and mercy. This finally brings us to the final thing that I think we can pull from this story and that we see that a, a good father provides Good Father provides us with perspective and understanding. We see this young son, and this whole story has been about this young son coming home. But now suddenly, there's a change in the narrative, and we shift our eyes and we move to a second son. A second son who had remained at home and continued to serve his father. The older brother. And this older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go into the party that his father was putting on. His father came out and begged him, 
But he replied, all these years, I slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast. Apparently a goat is okay. I don't know. I don't eat goat. But those of you who do, wouldn't even give me a goat to have with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf? And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this day for your brother was dead and has come back to law, to life. He was lost, but now he is found. In the first part of this story, we see the younger brother and all he wants is his dad's stuff. And so he rebels against his dad. He runs away so he can get his stuff and go. He doesn't care about the father. In this last part of this story, we see an older brother who serves faithfully and does everything he's supposed to do. But this, young, this older brother is actually wanting the same thing as the younger. He really only cares about his dad's stuff. He doesn't care about his dad's heart. Look at I've slaved for you. That's my stuff. I've worked it. He wasted our inheritance. Some of us get convinced of this. We fall into this way of living that we do things for God and we're somehow trying to earn his approval, his favor, or his love. God, let me say this clearly this morning, God does not care about the stuff you want to do for him. He really doesn't. The father was not won over. He didn't feel loved because the son did all this stuff to get his inheritance. He showed his card by his actions and his response. He was irritated. He was angry. God doesn't want just your acts of service trying to somehow buy his things. He wants you to actually want him because what he wants is you. God so loved, he gave. God wants you to do good works in your life, but not because you think that will make him approve you and, give you and give you what you want. He wants you to do so because you love him, because you trust him. In the parable, it's called the parable of the lost, or, uh, the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. But really, this story, it's easy for us to see things this way. We focus on the son, we focus on the the story we feel and we relate to, but this story is actually all about the Father. To actually get the big picture of the lesson that needs to be learned, we need the Father. In the parable, it's the Father that sees the big picture. He doesn't see this as a waste of resources. He realizes that this son was lost and is now home. Yes, he experienced all the heartbreak, all loss that came, but now the son was home. We need to know and draw close to the heart of our Father, to God the Father. Because our Heavenly Father sees the big picture of this world we live in. And for us, where we see the injustice and the hurt and experience the pain of our world, to not get swept up by that, we need to have someone else who sees the bigger picture that we don't get. Because we can get lost in, He wasted the inheritance. This world is wasting the gift, God, that you're giving. It's hopeless. 
Dads, for your kids, you need to inspire to be like our Heavenly Father. They do not need someone who just simply reverberates the echo chamber of hopelessness and complaint. They don't just need to hear about how everything sucks and how the government robs you of your money, how the world's going to hell in a handbasket and everything is lost in its worst. What they need is they need a father who can provide the larger perspective to get that there's something bigger going on. They need someone who's able to see that there is still hope. Someone who can speak that hope. All of us need that. It's why we need to be connected to God our Father. So this Father's Day, regardless of your experience with your earthly father, We all need a true good father because good fathers leave an inheritance. Good fathers help lead through heartbreak. Don't manipulate with power, but gently come alongside of us because they have a heart of a father, one that is full of love and compassion and forgiveness. And with that, good fathers then help us. They give us perspective and understanding to help deal with a seemingly unjust world to the day that we are joined with him. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me as we close this morning. Now I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you if you find yourself in the role of one of these two sons. Perhaps for some of you, it's the first son. And you know that you've kept things from God and you've had struggles in your life and you have just tried to do things on your own. You've essentially said, God, this is my life. I'm doing it my way. But God so loved you that he gave his son to pay the debt of your sin to say that debt is wiped out and I have an inheritance to give to you, eternal life with me. But that's available to you today and I want to pray for you. If there's anyone here today, I'm going to ask, just in this moment, if you want to raise your hand, because I do want to pray for you specifically, because that gift is available, that you can receive that. And I'm just going to give 10 seconds, and then we're going to move on. If there's anyone here today, I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand, and you can take it down and just acknowledge it. Yes, thank you. Significant decision. I want to lead in a prayer here. It's very simple and it's an invitation. For some of you, maybe you're online and you want to join to make that decision today. The Bible tells us it's as simple as inviting God into our lives. It's confessing that we are sinners. That word sin just means we've made mistakes. We've caused our own challenges and it's kept us from God. Sin is anything that's not being obedient to God. That we admit we are sinners And we invite him to forgive our sins and to lead our lives. So if that's you, I just want you to pray. You can pray a prayer just like I am. I'll say it. I'll give a little pause and you can repeat something like it. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. I know I've made mistakes. I've sinned. And I ask for your forgiveness. Please heal me. Fill me with your love, your compassion, 
Thank you that you welcome me home. Help me to live for you every day and to know you more every day. In Jesus' name. For those of us who are in that position where we are in that second son, I want to pray before we close. If you'll join me. Father, forgive us where we have fallen in love or we have found purpose or we have found life in trying to manipulate by what we do instead of simply knowing you. Lord, that picture that I've had as a dad with my son who's cuddled up to me just says, I love you, Daddy. I just want to do whatever you want to do today. God, help us bring that type of attitude to you because we do love you. And so we, we're sorry where we've somehow made you a person that we have to do things for and that's the only way you'll love us. Please forgive us and help us to actually know you and love you. For each dad this morning, help us to live this. And for those of us who maybe have had horrible experiences with our dads, can you change our perspective and help us to approach you more as that loving father instead of maybe feeling off guarded because of the experiences of our earthly dads? Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Marlowe.